Pelvic Posse, and welcome to the Empower Your Pelvis podcast. It's Amanda Fisher. I've helped thousands of people with pelvic floor issues, and it's totally my jam. Here, you can listen to expert interviews encompassing all things related to pelvic health. That's pee, poop, sex, and everything in between. You have a pelvic floor. Yes, you. We all do. And it's time to start talking about these issues that arise, but more importantly, how to improve them. I am so glad you are here to join us. Now let's head into this week's episode of the Empower Your Pelvis podcast. everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Empower Your Pelvis podcast. Today, I've got Dr. Heather Evans here with me again for part two to discuss a little bit more of her fertility journey. And in case you missed part one, let's go in to tell us just a little bit about yourself and then we'll dive right in. Sounds good. So I'm Heather Evans. I'm one of the pelvic floor PTs here at Empower Your Pelvis. And if you want all the details on the fertility story and how we can actually help you with fertility, see part one. But a very short version is we had a four-year fertility journey that involved four rounds of IVF, two surgeries, an egg donor. And finally, we have our twins, Hannah and Gavin, who are now nine. So we had kind of left off right with, I think, discovering I was pregnant. And then we had kind of dove into how we can help you all during your fertility journey. So, but the pregnancy story gets a little crazy. And that's like small little tidbit to the past. Heather and I used to work at different clinics and we both were supposed to deliver. We were both pregnant mm-hmm. at the same time, supposed mm-hmm. to deliver around the same due date, September-ish. I was October due date, yeah. And we were in, oh yeah, it was an October due date. So we were October 15th, we delivered in September. We were October 6th and we delivered actually June 17th. So she's going to go into her story a little bit more. Yeah. So, you know, twin pregnancy, but especially with being a twin pregnancy, it was actually, you know, I can't hardly complain because it was, it was basically super easy pregnancy until all of a sudden it was a very scary pregnancy. But for the first bit. I wasn't all that sick. I actually felt really good. I was, I normally am a runner, but I was able to walk throughout my pregnancy. Everything was great. I got to around about 21 weeks ish, midway through the 21st week. And we had just found out the sex of the babies. So we had a boy and a girl. We had just found out And I almost think it was right around that exact same visit because I think our anatomy scan was maybe a little late. So I think for some reason we had it around 21 weeks. We just found out boy, girl, hear all the pictures. And then my doctor at the time, he was being a little extra cautious with me just because of our fertility journey. And then the fact that it was twins. And so he ordered a transvaginal sonogram, which is not necessarily standard practice at that point, but He just wanted to make sure everything was going okay from what they could see internally. And so they did that. And what they found was that, and I felt fine this whole time. I had absolutely no symptoms, no cramping, no bleeding, nothing like that. But they found that my cervix was doing what's called funneling. So basically, if you think of how when you go to have a baby, your cervix dilates, it kind of opens from um, like the bottom end to deliver the baby. Well, funneling is, it was kind of opening from the top. And so that was shortening the cervix and that leads to premature labor. So they rushed me to this room. My doctor did a really uncomfortable internal exam. We figured out, okay, so we're, you know, about 21 weeks. 
cervix had basically dilated. This could be wrong. I'm thinking it was like a half a centimeter or so enough that they put me on bed rest. So they sent me home, put me on bed rest, said, you only get up to go to the bathroom and check back the next day. So I went back the next day and it was, everything was the same. And they said, okay, you're going to basically stay on bed rest for the rest of your pregnancy. I was totally freaked out because I was the only person doing pelvic floor at my clinic. And I had planned to work up until like 35 weeks. And so suddenly I'm calling doctors and patients. And that was what I was most stressed out about. I just pictured being on bed rest for the next, you know, 10 plus weeks. But so weekend, fine, laid around on the couch, went back in Monday they did another ultrasound and that's when everything just went absolutely crazy. So they ran and got the doctor. They were telling me not to push, which I was like, why would I push? Because I still felt fine. They brought a wheelchair in. So basically what they had found was I was dilating. I was 100% effaced. And at this point, it was 22 weeks and five days. So the hospital I was at was right across the street. So they put me in the wheelchair took me to the hospital and that's where they wanted me to stay on antepartum. They thought the twins were going to come that night, which 22 weeks, nine years ago was not in the viability range. Now certain hospitals can attempt to save 22 weekers. At the time, they basically told us they wouldn't attempt unless they were really looking, you know, better than they predicted. So they were able to give me some medication to slow labor. They were able to give me um, some steroid shots to help speed up the development of the baby's lungs. And that's about all they could do. And then hospital bed rest, couldn't get up and go to the bathroom, had to use the bedside commode because they said if the babies slipped out, they would be able to get them more easily there. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And I've since heard a story where that has happened. So it does happen. It thankfully didn't happen to me, but... I was able to stay on hospital bed rest for 10 more days, which back in 2013, when the twins were born, that basically saved their life. So I woke up in the middle of the night at around 1 a.m. And at that point, I was 24 weeks in one day. And I did have some contractions. They were not contractions like any of you who've experienced a vaginal birth have felt. They basically felt like period cramps. And then that was the first bleeding that I'd had. So... Of course, everyone rushed in, tried the last ditch medications. Those didn't work. And so they took me to the labor and delivery room that was closest to the OR, put down the baby warmers in case, again, they said the baby slipped out, which thankfully they did not, but they were going to be ready in case. And then they rushed me into an emergency C-section. So um, my husband was there. I did get to be awake for my C-section. It was an emergency C-section. So I didn't have... If I'd had a planned C-section, there's definitely things I would have requested that would have done differently. But at that point, it was really life or death for them. So we we didn't have a lot of choice. And so we rushed into the C-section. There were probably 50 people or so in the room. Each baby had their own team, their own special little bed. They had a neonatologist, a NICU nurse practitioner, a respiratory therapist to intubate them, a nurse... That might've been it. So eight total of them and then everybody for me. And so there were a lot of people, very scary, but I was also had a lot of drugs in me at that point. So I was, everything was very much kind of a blur. What they do in that situation. So first Hannah was our baby A. So baby A is whichever twin is lowest. And so they did the emergency C-section. They were able to deliver her 
I had the blue drape, the sterile drape. They held her above for a second and then they kind of whisked her over to the team because at 24 weeks, they can't breathe on their own. So quick intubation is what they had to do. And then Gavin, my son, he was transverse, which means he was sideways, took a little bit more work to get him out. He came out pretty bruised up, held him up for a second, whisked him away. They actually had to do some chest compressions on him. He was, his heart was beating. It was just beating really slow. Um, and then they, they struggled to intubate him, but they did eventually, they did eventually get it. So, so I'm laying there and they're kind of stitching everything back together. And they basically take the, what's called isolates, the little baby beds, and they run them past you. They pause for a split second so you can see them. And then they run up at our hospital. They ran to the elevator and took them upstairs to the NICU. And that's what they did with both babies. And then my husband said, what do I do? I said, you go with them. And so then you're just laying there strapped down. Like if you've had a C-section, you know, your arms are pretty much strapped down. Mm -hmm. You're just laying there pretty much by yourself. Like the nurses and everything were great, but it went from this crazy commotion to just like nothing. So do you mind sharing just from what we do? Yeah. And hearing that story, I would wonder, I feel like you would be a patient in the clinic with like pelvic floor trauma. I probably should have been. So this is where... When we come to the book in a minute, the book is like what I created for other moms because I didn't do anything like I should have. So I wanted to help other people do it because it was super traumatic. Because when we have stress and you know hard things, our muscles just hang on for dear life all throughout our body. I can't even imagine how tense my pelvic floor was no. at that point. It must and have I'm been thinking, terrible. Like your story is such a unique journey, but to other patients who also have unique journeys that are trauma. I mean, that, that's a lot of trauma happening, yeah. a lot of different things that are unexpected and maybe not in your plan or plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G, however many mm -hmm. things you have. And then it's actually happening in person. It takes on a completely different toll. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And that doesn't have to be a C-section. I mean, we have no. plenty of patients that have a lot of birth trauma vaginally too. So, and especially the wheeling away, it just reminds mm -hmm. me of our past couple of years that we've been dealing with, with COVID babies in the mm -hmm. clinic and listening yeah. to stories with parents who maybe they tested positive so they couldn't see their babies. And they've been dealing with the yeah. emotional toll internally that just, yeah. Yeah. I feel very, when COVID happened, I had some friends that were pregnant and, you know, the mom and dad couldn't be in the NICU at the same time. I can't even imagine. So I am, I feel for all of them. But yeah, I'm sure my pelvic floor was a wreck. But as we'll get to, I stopped caring about myself, which is not what you should do. So we'll come back to that. Which is hard as a it mom. Is hard. Especially, yeah. so Heather had a completely different NICU story. We were only in there for two and a half weeks, but it's you do it's your whole mind goes to your family well and you had two kids at home i did see i didn't have any other kids yeah. at home so i could actually 100 percent focus a lot of nikki moms have one or more kids at home and so yeah. then they're also balancing being with their nikki baby and their other kids especially if you're a single parent mm -hmm. that's what we noticed in the nikki too the moms would go home let their baby stay there at night and then they'd come back in the morning mm -hmm. um, when we delivered hudson five years ago influenza was so high so they were not letting anybody come in that had mm -hmm. been around small children or for mm -hmm. the small children to even be in right. there so i couldn't leave the hospital and that about digging yeah. in with my little babies at home and i was lucky i can talk about work but i didn't have to go back to work for a while a lot of parents i think they say 25 percent of parents of moms go back at like two weeks so I'm, then they're battling going back to work at the same time i so. worked what i could from yeah. the nicu bedside but yeah, yeah. anyhow 
Back to you. So let's see. So then I was very, very drugged and out of it at that point. So they did take me in my bed. So laying flat because I had a C-section up to the NICU to see them. I have very hazy memories of it, but I think that's kind of okay because they were extremely scary for a long time. I'm sure those moments were pretty rough. So I kind of remember it. The next thing I remember was about... So after 12 hours, I don't know if yours was the same. They kind of sit you up. I think some of that's for C-section, but some of that is they wanted me to start pumping. So when you deliver a micro preemie and probably just preemie too, a micro preemie is considered under 26 weeks or under two pounds, your milk supply is totally not ready because your body doesn't expect to have to produce milk. And so for preemie babies, breast milk is even more important. If for some reason someone can't produce breast milk, a lot of times they'll use donor breast milk because it decreases the chances of a really terrible disease they can get, a bowel infection they can get. Mm. And so they sat me up on the edge of the bed. So Donate breast milk, ladies. Yeah. You were making it to NICU, to preemie, to NICUs. Yeah, absolutely. For our wow. lovely oversupply mamas out there. So I, for those of you who have pumped, you put the little pump flanges on and you really don't get anything that first time, but they want you to just kind of start the process. It felt terrible. My C-section felt awful. I'm saying this because it comes to a cool story in just a minute, but you know how we feel if you have a major abdominal surgery, right? So you try to sit up and you try to lay back down and it was awful. But then about an hour and a half later, one of the nurse practitioners from the NICU came in and said, you know, Gavin's not doing very well. Um, We're not like in danger of losing him right at this moment, but we had to switch him to a higher powered ventilator. We had to give him some special other kinds of treatment. We just wanted to kind of update you. And so she left. And so the nurse came in and she's like, well, do you want me to take you up there? And I literally stood up. I sat up and I stood up and I walked to the wheelchair and it didn't even hurt. So that's brain pain science for you. Like my body wasn't even thinking about it. So adrenaline. Yeah. Well, and that pain did come back later. But in, in that moment, I walked to the wheelchair. She wheeled me up. I got to see them. Once they, I found out, I figured out they were stable. I sat back down, then the pain came back and then I went back downstairs. But so I was able to stay in the hospital with them for about three days, kind of the standard C-section stay. The milk started coming in just a teeny tiny bit, but the babies, it was like a tiny vial. I don't even know how to describe it. Like the, almost like a pencil width, very, very tiny. Um, You produce just a few drops. And, but that's really all they needed because they couldn't really take in more than it was like a milliliter at a time through their feeding tubes. They would get it through their feeding tubes. And so, so they were on ventilators. Um, We were at a wonderful hospital. We were here in Kansas city at Overland Park regional. They did amazing. So long story short, so we can get to our, like our NICU mom PT section, they were in the hospital for four months. They were on ventilators for seven weeks and they were on oxygen for six months. They both had, they were on for four months in the hospital and two months at home. Wow. Yep. And so they had all different kinds of things. We had lots of feeding struggles. They eventually got, they did both have bleeding in their brains from the oxygen. Hannah's was pretty mild. Gavin's was pretty severe, but he's kind of our miracle kid and he's doing great. So there were a lot of battles. They got to come home after four months. But so one thing I learned, which led to me writing the NICU Mama Survival Guide, which we have here for our YouTube friends, is on Amazon. So basically, I didn't, 
everything we teach our postpartum moms, I pretty much did none of it. Just I'm a pelvic floor PT, but you just don't care about yourself when your child is in the NICU. And, and I had a C, I mean, I had a pregnancy, I had a C-section and I pretty much didn't rehab anything, which even I, obviously I knew better, but I just wasn't thinking about it. And so I think you're tapped out too. Yeah. Stress. Yeah. In. So it's hard. you know, you're not eating great. You're not drinking. I mean, you're trying to do all those things so you can pump, but you, you just don't even think about it. So what I realized years later, kind of after we got past, you know, the kids are better. We got past the trauma is that there is a way that our NICU moms, whether your kiddos in the hospital in the NICU for two days or six months, there's a lot that you can do for your pelvic floor and C-section rehab that you can do right in your kid's NICU room. Like you literally don't have to leave their room for it. And so when I wrote that book, I, I mean, really it's good postpartum advice for anyone, but I tried to make it specific so that a NICU mom could pick it up because there's a lot of downtime in the NICU where you're just sitting there. And you could basically work on your breathing, work on your muscles while you never even leave your baby's bedside. And I hoped that if I had something like that, I could have actually rehabbed myself more because you don't have to take any time away from actually being with your baby, but then you do still get to take care of yourself more. Because I feel like all postpartum moms are more inclined not to take care of themselves, but NICU moms, I think are even more that way Mm -hmm. for very good reason. But I think you can do both. I yep. think you could take care of both. And I think, especially after a C-section, like I remember going to the NICU and it was almost like going home. You either had a chair to sit in mm-hmm. or a couch that flattened to a flat bed. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing like you're used to the hospital after a C-section of pressing a button that makes you move to seated. And then all of a sudden you get into this regular room like you are at home. And it's very hard since you don't have abdominal muscles functioning mm-hmm. well that I remember thinking, because I was like, you go through all these emotional highs and lows while you're in there. And again, Heather was there way longer than we were, but I mentally struggled on what to do. But the breathing and a couple of the positions were like, and the exhaling to stand when I remembered were some of the best things yeah. that I could have done to help support the tissue. That's what I was just going to say. It doesn't matter how long your baby's in there. They're in there when you are first delivered, yes. whether that's C-section or delivery or vaginal delivery. I mean, so literally just learning how to, okay, this is how you breathe and turn over in bed versus like trying to sit up and realizing that, oh my gosh, there's no way I can do that. Again, good for all postpartum, but it is just extra important because I didn't, I mean, I told them to put me on the least amount of pain medicine. I wanted to walk around. I wanted to drive, definitely drove before I was released to drive. Like I didn't care. Like I was going to get up off that chair one way or the other. So I may as well do it right. Yeah. You know, you're going to be hurting over in bed one way or the other. So you may as well do it right. You're going to have bowel movements and urinate and things like that either way. So you may as well do it. So it doesn't support the system too. Cause I feel like the more we can support and do things properly in the beginning, the less likely we are to have pelvic floor issues or hernias or issues with the scar tissue further out as long as we're you know, prepping the tissue ahead of time, the correct way. And that's what we're Mm -hmm. doing. Number one in the clinic, when we see our prenatal clients, Mm -hmm. our patients, we're prepping them for delivery, prepping them during pregnancy to strengthen them up for that, the D-Day delivery day. But then having this guide like Heather does to be able to guide you through those first couple of weeks. And it's on Amazon. It is. It's on Amazon, $12.99 on Amazon. So if you know you're like delivering early or you think you might have a C-section early or you're going in for your C-section or or your friend just had a NICU baby and you're like, I need to get them something. 
If you're local, you can come pick it up from the clinic or from Heather. Otherwise, everything's for the baby and we need to help out the moms. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then the way I organized it, like a lot of, it kind of goes, you know, there's a vaginal delivery, a C-section, but it starts out pretty immediate. So, you know, how to use a squatty potty. If you don't have a squatty potty in the NICU, which probably don't, what do you do? Like all of these different things. And then it kind of progresses into a lot of the things we see moms for, I mean, it doesn't have to be NICU stay. So peeing when they sneeze, pain with sex, pelvic organ prolapse, all of those things too. But you can start working on that sitting right next to your baby's bed. So it kind of goes into a lot of those things we see on a regular basis, you know, stretches for pumping, breastfeeding, all of those things, diastasis. Heather's pictures in the book too. So if you know, if you're a visual learner like myself, that is very helpful. And to be able to realize, you know, it's in a doorway. You probably have a doorway in your NICU, Mm -hmm. in the bathroom doorway at the hospital. There's lots of different ways that you can apply this to your day-to-day. I tried to put NICU examples in there when I could. There's also a couple chapters. I am not a mental health therapist, but we do work with a lot of patients with very high stress, anxiety, and chronic pain. And So, and that of course affects your physical rehab too. So there's a lot of different ideas for just dealing with the emotions that go along with the stress of either preterm delivery or a delivery. Not all, not all NICU babies are, are preemies. Sometimes someone delivers and maybe their baby has trouble breathing or, you know, they have a heart condition they didn't know about. So not all, not all NICU babies are preemies. And so, but you know, some ideas to work through some mindfulness techniques, some breathing techniques. Um, to Which kind are of good hope. for you and your partner. Yeah, so and you your think- baby. Like if you're holding your baby during like kangaroo care, you can do those techniques while you're yes. holding your baby and you can actually help their breathing improve. It's pretty cool. So, but yeah, partners, partners definitely get left out. They can do all of those things. They're looking for ways to help. I feel like in the NICU, everybody feels helpless because you can't, you know, the doctors and the nurses are doing everything. So the best thing you can do for your baby is to have a parent who's eating, sleeping, trying to go, you know, go home, get some sleep, um, try to recover a little physically so that when that baby's ready to pick up, which for some babies, that may be two days for my babies, that was three months, but then you know how to do it. You know how to, you know how to engage your core, you know how to breathe so that they are, you're ready for them when you're ready to hold those baby carriers and you know, all the things that go with having a baby. All right. Next book. First book you wrote. Yeah. So that's actually the first one. Learning to breathe. Yeah. So learning to breathe is actually our journey. Our, it has a little bit about the fertility. It's mostly about our NICU journey. So that's not the pelvic floor postpartum advice. That is just basically our, I don't know, memoir, if you will. So I wrote that when they were three and then NICU Mama Survival Guide just came out last year. So they're both on Amazon um, for $12.99. Or if you're local, we have both here for $10 too. And we're also, especially with the NICU Mama Survival Guide, I'm working with a lot of like social workers at different hospitals because different offices and places like Amanda, Amanda donated a whole bunch of them to St. Luke's East here in Lake Summit. that again. So yeah, because different companies have donated money to where then I can take the books and provide them at no charge to the NICU moms. I'm trying to avoid them having to pay for anything. So which if your love language is gifts, yeah, that is me. I remember being in the NICU and like some a mom or a church or somebody donated like blankets or little mm-hmm. lotions and deodorants and yes. patches. Yeah. I, I mean, just little things that you didn't think about packing that I was like, oh, Yes, I need lotion or we need mm-hmm. this anchor blanket. Like we still have the anchor blanket because of this 
memory of being in the NICU. So this is another thing that I feel like moms are going to receive. They have it right there to start taking in the information, but then they're always going to look back and remember their time at the NICU. And hopefully this is creating the positive memories for them too. I did it because I, when I, especially the first one that I wrote, I'm a reader. And so I immediately got on looking for other people's stories and there weren't many, there's a couple now, but there just wasn't that much. And I just wanted to know like, well, what did someone else go through and how did it turn out? So that's why I wrote it to kind of, I mean, there's hard stuff in there too, but it does provide hope at the end. Cause we did have a, you know, a really, every, everything turned out in the end. Um, I think the coolest moment so far is I had a NICU twin mom here probably a year ago, maybe. She happened to have been at one of the hospitals that we had donated books to and she had gotten one of the books. And then I treated her as a mom. And then she also went to our lactation consultant here, Sarah, for lactation help. So she got to kind of be all parts of EYP. All right. In case you missed part one, we're going to ask you, what is something you are doing teaching or learning currently at this moment? I'm going to say the same ones. Let me see if I can come up with a new one. So I had said learning, trying to further my knowledge on ADHD for my little guy. So reading podcasts, things like that. The other big one that we already mentioned in part one is I'm getting ready to start my new podcast, which is going to be the Mama Sisterhood, which is all stories of moms from all different walks of life and kids with all different situations. So kind of inspiring, helping to educate and inspire with that. Um, let's see what else would be one I haven't already talked about. We're always doing continuing education courses around here. Yes. I want to do some any new ones. Yeah. So if you go back to part one, we did a course with, um, Dr. Yenny Abraham. Oh my God. She was amazing. Yeah. On fertility. And she actually has a couple of courses of her own now. So I'm hoping to take a second course with her and hopefully fingers crossed an in-person live lab in Texas oh in August. Goodness. So that's kind of my continuing ed plan for this year. And then also keeping learning how to, to do all the podcast stuff because it's all brand new to me. You're so. a natural. She's going to rock it. So yeah, that's Fantastic. me. So if you guys, there'll be more links to the books below. And then we'll also link Heather's podcast once it goes live. And then um, definitely... Any other, or Sarah from Nurture Lactation, we'll link her on there as well in case you guys are having any issues with lactation. But please reach out, shoot her an email, shoot her a message on Instagram. We'll put that underneath as well. And um, she's a wealth of knowledge and sweet as pie. So. I love to talk to Nikki mom. So if you yes. or a family member is, especially if someone is, because I didn't know anyone right away who'd been through it. And it turned out like friends out of friends of friends came out of the woodwork and were like, Hey, I had a 26 weeker. I had a 25 weeker and they were so kind and helpful to me. And I am happy to talk to anyone, anyone to help them through their, through their journey too. Yes. So thank you all for joining in. And until next time, we will see you later. Thank you for coming on. Bye. Bye. Hey, Pelvic Posse. I want to thank you so much for joining into this week's episode of the Empower Your Pelvis podcast. Can I ask you a couple of favors, please? Number one, can you like and subscribe to this podcast so that you can continue to empower your pelvis forever so that you will never miss out? Number two, can you leave us a rating and a review telling them how amazing we are and everything that you have learned about your pelvic health? And then number three, 
If you haven't seen the video version of this podcast, you can go over to youtube.com forward slash C forward slash empower your pelvis for all your visual learners out there. We have all types of great visuals in there for you to not only listen to, but to also watch. Thank you so much again and make sure to give your pelvis some love until next time. Peace out pelvic posse.